We are in a series called His because we are His. Yes, hey. All right. Message is done. <laughs> Romans 8, 15 through 17 is our memory verse for this month, and we're going to repeat it again at the end of service. But I just want to start us off with this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. A beautiful passage. In worship, I was, I was sensing that there might be one, or there might be many people in here, um, that you've been wrestling with jealousy of other people who are experiencing things in the kingdom that you aren't and you feel like you're missing out. You feel like they're getting it and you can't get it because they got it. I don't know if that's you, but I just say, you are fellow heirs with Christ. There is no lack in this kingdom. So you can start applauding those who are getting it because it doesn't mean that you're left out. I just want to deliver that. So as I was praying during worship, the Lord uh, laid that on me. So in our chapel times uh, at, at the discipleship program, we kind of get a little creative. So um, we do embodied activations. I like to use artwork. My wife and I are both artists, and uh, God speaks to me through art. Anybody else like that? All sorts of art. Literature, music, anybody? Me? Yes, God speaks to us through art. And... and Today is kind of a, a testimonial of something that has radically changed the way that I understand my relationship with God, our relationship with God. And I, I hope that it will do the same thing with you guys. I've been praying that God would use today's message to expand our understanding of the love that God has for us, because I think sometimes we truncate his love and we put it into a box that we, we start, we get really comfortable with the box. We go, yes, God, love me. But hopefully today, we're gonna, I'm going to land kind of on one verse, and I'm just going to unpack one verse, and it's very simple, but hopefully it'll be quite profound. And, and what I'm trying to do is, is almost impregnate our imagination, so that way as we go forward, we can't help but to see through this lens and start to see the beauty on the other side of it, that as we go into Scripture, Scripture starts to open up because God is revealing himself more and more through it. So, like I said, I brought an artwork from my, my office. If you've ever been in my office, I have lots of artwork up on the wall. Like I said, the Lord speaks to me through it, and when I keep things of Christ up on my wall, it reminds me to think, think about Christ, to keep things of Christ before my mind and heart as I go. So, <clears throat> has anybody ever seen this piece? Raise your hand. Anybody? Sweet. A few of you guys. So this is uh, by a Russian iconographer. Actually, we would consider a Byzantine iconographer uh, from the 15th century. So this piece was actually probably created um, between 1425 and 1427. Uh, he was part of the Russian Orthodox Church, or the Byzantine Church, uh, that the way that they would uh, kind of teach in some ways, literacy was, was down. Not as many people can read. As all of you guys can open up your Bible and read. It wasn't always the case. So a lot of times what they would do is, in fact, iconographers, 
It's called writing an icon. And when you look at an icon, it's actually called reading an icon. And essentially, what a piece like this is intended to be, uh, they would say it's intended for devotion and prayer. Not that you bring your devotion to the piece, but that you, you, the piece would spark devotion to the Lord. Right, the true God. Not, we're not worshiping art. We're, we're worshiping God, but the art starts to speak to us. In fact, we could see this almost like a, a sermon before us. And the sermon before us is, is quite particular. So this piece has a couple different names. It's called, uh, originally, it was called Abraham's Hospitality, because it's based off of Genesis 18, where uh, three angels of the Lord come and meet Abraham at the, the um, trees of Mamre, or however you say that. And, and uh, Abraham prepares a table for them, hosts them. This is right after uh, the word of the Lord came and declared that they were going to have a child, Isaac, one who laughs. My wife and I are pregnant right now, and we're 99.9% sure we're going to name him Isaac. Uh, yes, one who laughs, which then if we don't, then hopefully he doesn't listen back on this because that's going to be awkward. Anyway, and so within the... the uh, Russian icon painting, um, you're not supposed to paint God the Father and God the Spirit, right? We can, they would say, oh, we could paint Jesus because Jesus was incarnate. We, we know that what he would look like, he would look like a person. Maybe not exactly what he would look like, but, but we can give him features. So what Andrei Rublev is doing here is he's actually giving us a picture of the Trinity while not going, hey, this is the Trinity. So we need to understand that as we go into this piece. And we're bringing us to some place, and then hopefully when I get to the scripture, it's just, I, I hope that your heart feels the unlock when we get there. So when you look at this, there's, there's three persons uh, that all look very similar. And they're, they're, again, it's the three angels is what he's painting, but then he's also locking things in here that are revealing the three persons of the Trinity. So, like I said, it started off being called Abraham's hospitality because of the hospitality of hosting these angels, but then it became known as Abraham's visitors, so then it, it, personhood starts to come in, and now many people know this as the Trinity icon because of the devotion that it's helped to understand about the Trinity. So for some of you guys who'd be able to see me pointing at this, others of you guys, you could just watch up top and some of the things that I point out to you guys uh, will, will show up up there and you'll be able to follow along. So in this icon or in this art piece, I'll just call it an art piece from here on forward, uh, we have three persons. And, and based off of different symbolism, we can understand that, that this is God the Father, this is God the Son in the center, and then this is God the Holy Spirit to the right. You guys know that we serve a Trinitarian Godhead. If you do, raise your hand. Good. Now, this, this Trinity can be slightly difficult to understand. In fact, one of the problems with an art piece like this is we can almost look at it and go, ah, yes, we have three gods, but we don't have three gods. We have one God in three persons. So there's, there's a thing that the church has done and formulated to help us, then we don't fall into the pitfalls of thinking that we are uh, tritheistic, is what it would be. Three God worshipers. No, we're one God worshiper. We are theists, monotheists, but the way that our one God presents himself is through three persons. So if you pull up the, the Trinity shield, 
This is an easy way of understanding what we're talking about when we're talking about this. So, the Father is not the Son. Say it with me. The Father is not the Son. Yes. The Son is not the Spirit. And the Spirit is not the Father. But the Father is God. The Son is God. And the Spirit is God. If you understand that, meet me afterwards and explain it to me, please. No, it's a mystery. <laughs> like, this is the beauty of the God that we held. It's, it's, it's actually deeply mysterious, but it actually draws us in. And there are certain things that we know through the incarnation of Jesus Christ that God has revealed to be true about himself. So we, we know that there is three persons, that the Father has an only begotten Son, and we could even say an eternally begotten son. There was never a time where the father didn't have the son, Jesus. And there was never a time where Jesus didn't have the father, God. Right? That's what makes them father and son. Eternally existent. Different than how, you know, I wasn't eternally existent. There was a time to where Nick was not, and there was a time where my dad was not a dad. Right? God is different than us, but at the same time, we have some ways of understanding. So the, the Son is always begotten, eternally begotten, and that's what makes his personhood. If, you, if some of this stuff doesn't make sense, don't worry about it. it like, it's okay. You can, I have some resources that I'll bring up later on that might help you if you want to dive further into this, because this is the stuff that, oh, I just love this stuff. So then the Holy Spirit, the way that we would say the Holy Spirit is, the Spirit is eternally spirated, right? Um, the, the, the terminology there is pneumated, pneuma, it's, it's wind, it's air, it's spoken. So the, the Spirit is eternally sent forth by the Father through the Son. We, we know this. So a lot of deep theology that, again, if it doesn't click, but if it gets you excited, then, hey, chase this stuff down because it's fun. <laughs> and, and it does reveal something. But, so three different personhoods. I, I'd say all that and use that big technical language just to say that they are distinctly different, though they are unified in all as God. Now, one of the ways that Andrei Rublev it described this in his piece here is you'll see each of them are wearing different garments. But all of them are wearing what color? Blue. And blue, in the, the at least Russian Orthodox kind of iconography, is the color of divinity. So here, Rublev is saying, hey, no, you might look at this and think that we have three different gods, but we don't. We have one god in three persons, and that's represented through the blue. Uh, then they each have different garments on top of that. So green is the, the color of of new creation. The Holy Spirit is the one who broods over creation, then broods over new creation. He's the one that actually takes us and makes us a new creation. Christ is the one who has secured our new creation. So in him you have red, burgundy, the color of wine. He's the one who was the sacrifice that was poured out. He has the golden sash because he is king. He is exalted on his throne. There is nobody else higher than him. And then the father is in a translucent garment uh, because scripture points to him but never fully describes him. It, it, he's best understood through relationship. Is this, is this all right? 
I, I'm just geeking out right now. This is like art history, church history, and theology, and this is like, anyway. All right. Another way that Andre uh, signified the divinity is each of them has a scepter or uh, one of these rods, and, and it should pop up there. You'll see um, kind of difficult to see up there, even kind of difficult to see here, but they all three of them have rods. They all three of them have halos to show their divinity. The rods signify that they are all authoritative. There's not one that has more authority than the other. Um, they are all three the same size, signifying there is not one that has more authority than the other. Uh, this is all important. This is all the way that, that Wherever this was originally, this isn't the original one, right, obviously. The original one is actually like four feet by five feet, and it's pretty incredible because once you stand in front of it, um, they're almost life-size. And, and you're, you're standing in front of the Trinitarian reality, uh, and we'll get to it. It's inviting you in, which is incredible. So all of this is saying, hey, uh, one God, three persons. Now... Another thing is artists start using um, other symbolisms to start uh, conveying things. So behind each of them is actually a symbol. And, and this was uh, an egg tempura. So the, the paint structure that they would use was kind of volatile. It would, it would crumble and decay over time. And now they're doing things to preserve these things and they last. But um, the copies that we have in the different things, a lot of it has corroded away. So it's kind of difficult to see. But if you really kind of squint, you can see these things. Behind... God the Father here, the, the, thing, the angel that's representing God the Father, is uh, a house. Now, in the story of Abraham in his hospitality, this is Abraham's house. He's living in a tent, and, and him and, and um, Sarah are presenting out of their tent this meal, this sacrifice that they're, they're having for the messengers of God. Um, but then also, when you think about it through the lens of the Father, in my Father's house there will be many mansions. We see the kingdom of God is represented there. God the Father in His kingdom, His household. Now behind the, the middle messenger, uh, or Christ, the, the person of Christ, we have a tree. Now this is the trees of Mamre or Marmer or however we say that within the story of Abraham. But then what else is this in the story of Jesus? Anybody guess? The cross. The tree of life. See, in mankind, we ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and we brought a curse to the land. Christ came to reestablish on the cross himself the tree of life. Out of his side would flow the fruit of of life, the blood and water that would then cleanse us from our sin. It's incredible. I just love the imagery here. And then on the right, there's, this is the most difficult one to see. You might actually be able to see it better up there than on this one, but there's a mountain um, behind the Holy Spirit. And this is Mount Tabor for Abraham, but then this is also creation, a new creation behind the Spirit. Now, the interesting thing here is the way that the image is warped. Everything is happening in a circular motion. So, in fact, if you, if you look at the way that the, the three are sitting, they make a circle. Now, the early church, 
trying to, so for the first 700 years of the Christian church, they were working out the doctrines of who is Christ. We call that Christology. Um, they were talking about the incarnation. What does that mean for us? And then what is the Trinity? So you get all these creeds, like the Apostles' Creeds and Nicene Creed and all these different things that are trying to work this out. And again, it, it's, they're kind of struggling with some language, so they started to have to make up words to figure out how do we describe what's happening in the Trinity. And one of the words that they came up with is a Greek word called perichoresis. Anybody ever heard that word? Sweet, a couple. Perichoresis. Um, peri means like supernatural <laughs> from above. Choresis, we would get the word choreography from. It's kind of a dance. It's actually the divine dance is, is one way of understanding that. It's the divine communion is what the early church would say. So the, the crazy thing, you guys still with me? All right, good. <laughs> the crazy thing, right, when it, that circles up there, we start to see that there, there's a circular movement through this piece that, that for all of eternity, the Trinity has been aimed at each other. And like Pastor Jared was saying, 1 John 4 says God is what? Love. That is the very essence of God, the very nature of God. If we could dissect God to his core, it's love, right? Whatever that, whatever that means. It's not an emotion. It is who he is. Now, think about the difference between if we were only to have one person in a Godhead versus three persons in a Godhead. If we were to only have one person in a Godhead, whom would he be loving for all of eternity? What? Himself. What do we call that when we love ourselves? Narcissism. Narcissism. <laughs> Selfishness is the word I was going for. That's <laughs> You're not wrong, right? <laughs> You're not wrong. But the brilliance that we have in the Trinity is that the way that God loves as three persons one God is not a narcissistic, selfish love. It's actually a self-giving love. They're circled around each other, looking at each other, giving attention over to each other. The Father is eternally loving the Son. The Son is eternally loving the Father. The Holy Spirit is spirating between the two of them. There's energy happening there. It's, it's literally a love fest, we could call it. That would be the divine dance. The perichoresis. In fact, the, the early church father, Augustine, said that the, the love between the father and the son is so intense that it's actually the third person of the Trinity, <laughs> the Holy Spirit. I, I go, that, that's pretty incredible. And it also uh, shows then why marriage is such a high covenant because then the two become one flesh, that the two love each other in such a way that it makes actually one other. <laughs> anyway. Is this okay? <laughs> so you look, and, and then the movement here too is, is really unique. So... No one comes to Christ unless the Holy Spirit draws him. And you, you see that movement here. So actually, it, 
in art, you would enter into the circle in, in this motion. So you start to, you find yourself at the scepter of the Holy Spirit, the authority of the Holy Spirit, the power and action of the Holy Spirit. It's bringing you up, and by the time you hit the shoulder, you come over to his head. That's the ark, right? This is what the eye is doing in the art piece, but this is also theologically what's happening in our hearts, is we are met by the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit directs us over and sends us off to who? Christ. And we find our life. We find the one who has come to meet us in our despair. But then where does he send us? To the Father. Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you, like, this is where I go, hey, I just, I love art. It does such a work for me. And I, I keep this above my desk and I turn uh, and I gaze upon it at times to allow myself to to just re-encounter the Lord as he meets me uh, through these truths. Again, it's a, it's a sermon that has been written in image format. It's incredible. And then we meet the Father, but the Father sends us back to the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then they send us back to the Father. And all of a sudden, in the artwork ourself, in just the artwork alone, we get caught up in the circle and we start going on the journey. The theological truth there is this is Christ welcoming us into the communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You'll notice there's a chalice right in the, the center here, right? The chalice, chalice is in Scripture the picture of communion. It's, it's shared meals together. We know of the Lord's Supper. That would be a, a chalice, a communion, right? This is my blood poured out for you. This is the new covenant in my blood. Well, here we see that in all of eternity. So think about this. This is matter, right? This is creation. There was a time where the molecules that are here were not. There was never a time to where this here was not. The painting, yes. The reality behind it, no. Have you ever asked yourself, what was God doing before there was anything, <laughs> right? Like, did he get bored? No. He had a perfect perichoretic relationship between the three persons of the one God. For all of eternity, God is love, and for all of eternity, whatever that looks like before the foundations of the earth, the Father was loving the Son, the Son was loving the Father, and the Holy Spirit was moving between the two of them in that perichoretic relationship. For the rest of eternity, that will be the reality. What was God doing before? He was enjoying himself in one Godhead. <laughs> right? Got to be careful with the language because I don't want to commit heresy. But... Uh, But there's actually two chalices here. And this is where it gets super interesting, and this is where the gospel comes in. The one chalice is on the table. The other chalice is, is done through something that we have come to know uh, in, in graphic design. I've got to remember the, 
the terminology as gestalt theory, where you can make an object by making an absence that creates the object. So you'll notice right here, there's the legs and arms sweep of the, the Father and Spirit that ends up actually making the image of a chalice in between. Here's the interesting thing. Who's in the chalice? Jesus. Our sacrifice, our fruit of life. The chalice is created in the opening at the table, which signifies our invitation to the table. Now, he's doing something very interesting here. Just as much as we can get, you know, confused and think that there's three gods, we could also get confused and think that we become a fourth god. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's an opening at the table. So I step up and now I am the quadrity or whatever, <laughs> whatever the four trinity would be. No, it's not that. Because what it's creating, the opening itself is the opening created by Christ, but it's also the opening containing Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christ is the bread of life that we partake on. Christ is the, the cup of the covenant that we partake on. Is this making sense so far? I, I kind of want this image to almost brand itself on your mental screens. That way, as you go back into Scripture, uh, you'll experience some, some deep revelation through it. So yes, the opening into, the welcoming into the eternal communion between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John 17 Jesus is, is considered two things in, in this context of John 17. This is called his high priestly prayer. It's amazing. One day I, I do want to write a book on John 17 and take it verse by verse by verse because it's literally like a gem with many facets. In nearly every single verse, you can, uh, you can get a depth of insight in. Right, John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they would know you, the one true God, Godhead, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, the one who reveals Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is also the eternal Son. Right, that's John 17, 3. That's right at the beginning of the prayer. But at the end of the prayer, I, this is the one verse that I want to park on. And hopefully through this image and this verse, all of a sudden, I, I want your heart to rend open and receive the depths of love that the Father has for us. So Jesus here is praying to his father. It, we're actually, we're being welcomed into the conversation that's happening at the table. <laughs> Jesus never, never left the table. When he became incarnate, it wasn't like, oh, now we have two people at a table waiting on the, the third. Do you think he'll be much longer, Holy Spirit? I, I hope not. <laughs> Hurry up, Judas. No, okay. <laughs> All right. End of the prayer, and he, he finishes with a banger, as they say. All right. <laughs> John 17, 
John 17, 26. I made known to them your name. I encourage you to read back through the prayer. You'll see that the name that Jesus made known to us is the name of the Father. In fact, all throughout his ministry, he was making known to us the Father. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Matthew 6 alone has over 30 references to your Father, the Father. That's where we get the Lord's Prayer. Pray this way. Our Father. I've made known to them your name, the name of the Father, and I will continue to make it known. This is what wrecked me. And I hope it does the same for you. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them. And I in them. That the love in which you loved me. That's where the significance of this image comes in. What is the love that God has loved Christ with? An eternal love. (laughs) A love that was there before the foundations of the earth. In fact, it was in this love, in the overflowing movement of love here, that all of creation was born out of. There was so much overflowing love that God said, let's create creation. Let's make that which isn't in which we can love. And then mankind takes that love, turns it on itself, and moves into a narcissistic love, a selfish love, and brings a curse over the land. Actually breaks creation. And yet here we see Christ doing a work saying, hey, before they've even repented, God, let's open up our Trinitarian relationship to them once again. Let them be in me as I am in you and you are in me is what he's talking about earlier in John 17 in his high priestly prayer. Not only is he the high priest, he is also the sacrifice that the high priest would destroy, kill, and sprinkle the blood on the day of atonement. And Jesus is going, Father, I'm the high priest. I'm also your lamb. Let's do this. Let's do what needs to be done so that we can open up the relationship that you and I have had since the beginning of the world and ever before that. And let's make it available to them. It's simple. But that's different than the type of love that I thought the Father had for me. And this is, this is the, the kind of movement here. If I turn this on, I can actually. There is no other love that God has for you than the love that he has eternally had for his only begotten son. We say that in the positive, that's worded in the negative. So the, the positive would say, God loves you, not just, just like. God loves you just as much. 
God loves you with the very love that he has eternally loved God the Son and will eternally love God the Son. Christians, and this is where we get to the identity portion, right? We are His. And as Christians, we are children who are learning to receive the love God the Father has for us in the Son. How many of you guys, when you, when you read through Scripture, you, you notice that, especially Paul, Paul is the largest culprit of this amazing truth in Scripture. Uh, but you'll read through the New Testament and you'll see in Christ, through Christ, in Him, by Christ, over 180 times it's talked about in the New Testament, in Christ. If they be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I that live, but Christ that live in me. The life I now live, I live by the faith and the faithfulness and my faith in the one who gave his life for me. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And what that reality is saying, Ephesians 2 actually tells us that we are seated with Christ in what? Heavenly places. Sounds a lot like... Uh, right here. <laughs> and in being seated with Christ in heavenly places, we are also partaking of the love fest. I, I don't like using that terminology, but I don't necessarily have, it sounds really weird and new agey, but I do think it's helpful. <laughs> Thank you, whoever said that. But then there's another part of, of that John 17 passage. Sorry. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them. I talked about how God loves us with the love that he has had for Jesus since all of eternity. But it, all, it, it specifically says that it would be in us. Now, it is in us because we have received it from him. But this is the incredible thing. As Christians, as ones who are in Christ, as we, we wrestle with our identity, we think, but I don't belong at that table. But that's why Christ is praying for us. That the more that we remain in him, the more he would remain in us. That the more we are at that table, you ever been at a, it's actually interesting. We learn things from the table. You start doing communion with friends and you start to look more like your friends you pick up what they're putting down the more that we're at the the table of communion between father son and holy spirit the more we are having that very love in us like christ says just as he is in us we are actually becoming of love's kind in fact, he, the Holy Spirit's doing a purging work in us to get everything else out. So as Christians, we are also children, sorry, children who are learning to love God the Father in the way that Jesus, God the Son, has eternally loved God the Father. 
All right. I'm going to start trying to land this. Has this been all right? Again, my, my heartbeat is that now as you go through Scripture and as you see things like Matthew 6, as Jesus is talking about prayer, and we would get into our secret place, we would close the door and we would commune with our Father, that you would start seeing yourself seated in heavenly places with God the Father. That your communion isn't something that you're, you're hoping makes it through the, the ceiling of your bedroom, but actually as you close the door and follow Christ's words, you find yourself right here at the table talking face to face with the Lord. He's sending you to the Spirit. The Spirit's sending you back to Christ. Christ is sending you to, to God the Father. And all of a sudden in that movement, as you are moving with them in Christ, by the Holy Spirit, you start to get transformed. That as we go, then Christ continues on in, in uh, John 6, 9. And he says, therefore, then whenever you pray, pray our Father. That you would hear those words, whenever you pray, pray this way, our Father, as Christ coming alongside you and saying, here we are, we are praying our Father. You are here with me, I in you, and we are seated right in front of God the Father. And he has invited you to the table. When we don't love God as best as we should, we realize that we are in Christ and he's already doing it perfectly on our behalf. We are partakers of what he is enjoying with the Father and as partakers, we are becoming more and more like him. I had more slides, but then I, I talked really a lot tonight, so <laughs> I'm not going to go through them. Luke 14, I'll just give a, a paraphrase of a parable. It's another way we could look at this. Is it's like a, a parable, right? In Jesus' parables, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like. Right? We're not saying that God the Father looks like this, God the Son looks like this, God the, that'd be weird. We are saying the Trinity is like. Right? But in this parable, Luke 14, Jesus is talking about a banquet. I think what, what better to talk about right now than the banquet that has been prepared. And a master has prepared a banquet and he sends out his servant to go find those who have been invited to the banquet. And in this context, Jesus is talking about the Jews and the Jews are denying Jesus and denying God. And and it says, they, the servant goes out and starts talking to people. And, and person by person by person comes back with excuse by excuse by excuse. Hey, no, I, I just bought a new car uh, and I have to go get an oil change. I'll come later. <laughs> Again, a paraphrase. Somebody else says, well, you know, I have something going on at work. I'll come back and commune with you later. And the servant goes back to the, the master and he says, you know, nobody's responded to your banquet. And the master says, all right, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out into the gutters. Go out to the homeless. Go out to the streets. Find anybody you possibly can and invite them in. If those that wanted to deny it, deny it, 
let's go and get everyone else. And Christ here is given a, a bigger picture of extending the gospel to the Gentiles, but it's also a picture for us today. In fact, there's another parable that Christ talks about of the banquet of a wedding, a wedding feast. And the same thing happens. People are too busy. Now's not the season of life for this. I'm sorry. I'll do it later. And the master of the banquet said, there is no later. Now is the time. Go get everyone else. Go make the message be made known to everyone and get them in here. But then an interesting thing happens in that one. They show up, and some of them, the master comes up and says, you're not wearing the right clothes. This is a wedding. You're not wearing wedding clothes. And what Christ is pointing to is the significance of us. There is only one way for us to get to this banquet table. And it is through Christ, in Christ, with Christ, by the Holy Spirit. And I just want to close out tonight and say, the table's open. <laughs> Have you responded? Is your response, I'll get to it later? Or is your response, I need to be at that table? This feast has been going on without me for far too long. I will not allow it to go any further without being there in Christ. Does that make sense? And I want to say, if that's you, the invitation is here. Will you respond? If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never stepped into an eternal relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, tonight's your night. And I invite you, on the count of three, to just stand up. If you're new here, we, we've recently started doing this with our eyes open, and it's not just a hand raised. We want to celebrate with you. This is a feast. The fattened calf has been prepared. Let's celebrate. So if that's you tonight, and you say, I haven't done this. Tonight's my night. Step up to the table. Not that you don't have to step up to this table. Just stand up is what I'm asking. One, two, three. Tonight's your night. The Father's been waiting. The Son's been waiting. The Holy Spirit was the messenger that went out and was, <laughs> was drawing you in. All right. Well, hopefully, that means we're all at the table. And if that's the case, then I, I give an, another invitation to you is as you move forward, I encourage you that when Christ came incarnate and he walked along the streets of Jerusalem, when he walked through the midst of his day-to-day -day job, even when he was doing carpentry, he never left the table. Communion was flowing. And I say, if you haven't experienced that in your life, I encourage you to ask the Spirit and to search the scriptures of what does it look like to pray without ceasing, as Paul says to commune with my Father as I'm going about my day-to-day -day tent making. So Jesus, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Father, we love you. We are here to commune with you.
God, I thank you for everybody in here. I thank you that they are at the banquet table, and now I pray that we would feast with you for the rest of eternity. It starts today. We don't have to wait. So have your way. We love you. We praise you. Pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If, if any of this uh, resonated with you, I want to give out a couple book recommendations. These are books that, that I just, if you want to do a deep dive on this stuff, I think these are a great place to start. One is called A Theology of the Ordinary. It's by a, a gal named Julie Canlis. Theology of the Ordinary, very quick read, but very uh, rich in material. The second one is Delighting in the Trinity by My- Michael Reeves. And if you're a podcast listener, Listener, listener. Uh, I highly suggest going and finding Michael Reeves' podcast that's under the same title and going back and listening to the first four podcast messages. They are, yeah, delighting in the Trinity. And then uh, the last one, this is the deepest of the dives of them, but um, The Deep Things of God by Fred Sanders. So uh, just wanted to, to give these over to you. So if you wanted to search this out anymore, uh, you can. Otherwise, love you guys. Thank you.